The following message is a part of the teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church of Fairburn, Georgia, also on the web at gracebible.faith. That's gracebible.faith. We're in the book of Numbers today. I realize it's been a couple of weeks, but we're picking up right where we left off before. Uh, The book of Numbers takes place over a period of approximately 39 years. You think about 40 years typically of wilderness wandering. But remember, we've already taken three months to get down to, uh, let me get my pointer here. We start up here, basically at the end of Genesis, the beginning of the book of Exodus. It takes three months' journey to get down here to Sinai. They're down at Sinai for a little over 11 months as they receive the law, as they get the instruction about the offerings in the book of Leviticus. Now we're picking up from there. And Numbers records Israel's movement from Sinai to the plains of Moab 40 years after their original departure from Egypt. So what we're going to end up seeing is the journey up first to Kadesh Barnea. What happens at Kadesh Barnea? What do they do first there, Denise? Isn't that where they go to spy out the land and then they come back with their bad report? Exactly. So they send spies up into the land and they come back and... The report is, yeah, the land's everything that you said it was going to be, but it's also full of giants and fortified cities, and there's no way that we can take this land. Only Joshua and Caleb disagreed with that, and we're going to see that was the straw that broke the camel's back, and they wandered in and around the area of Kadesh Barnea for 37 and a half years, and then eventually make it up to the plains of Moab. We'll have another map that kind of shows this route, but... That's an overview of what takes place in the book of Numbers. So, very basic outline. And what I hope that you're doing, what I want to encourage you again to do this morning, is really try to memorize these basic outlines of each of the, at least the books of the Pentateuch. So, if you think about ones we've done already, the first thing you have to memorize is the total number of chapters in the book. And then there's ways that you can kind of help yourself figure out the other major divisions. Genesis is pretty straightforward. Genesis 1 through 11 are four key events, 12 through 50 are four key people, with the Abrahamic covenant being the dominating theme. How many books in the book of, I mean, how many chapters in the book of Exodus? 40. So the way that I remember that is, you know, God delivers uh, Israel from Egyptian bondage in 1 through 18, because I know that the segment about the law starts in 19. Exodus 19 through 24 is the Mosaic law. So I think, okay, 1 through 18 is God's bringing the plagues and through Moses' leadership, bringing them down to Sinai. 19 through 40 is God entering into the covenant with the nation at Sinai. And just these basic outlines will help you be able to think your way through not just the individual books, but the Pentateuch as a whole. You get to Leviticus. Leviticus has 27 chapters. Uh, The first 10 deal with the sacrificial system and offerings. And then 11 through 27 is, you know, the first division of 1 through 10 is the way to God through sacrifice. 11 through 27 is the walk with God in sanctification, holiness. We get to numbers and we see this three division uh, here. And again, it's all about the journey from Sinai up to the plains of Moab. 
the first 12 chapters are from Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. Uh, then you have the 37 and a half years of wilderness wandering in 13 through 19. I came up with I, what I thought was a pretty neat way to remember that. 13 through 19 being the teen, teen years of Israel, and that's when they were most in rebellion. So 1 through 12 is the journey to Kadesh Barnea, 13 to 19 in the wilderness, and then 20 to 36 is from Kadesh Barnea up to the plains of Moab. Again, you have to remember 36 chapters total in the book of Numbers. All right, let's flesh that out a bit. Uh, we have the preparation for the journey in chapters 1 through 9 of Numbers. Uh, the first thing they do is number and organize the people. Uh, anybody remember, well, how many, when they numbered the people, roughly, how many people was it? Somebody might remember precisely. A little, little less than 800,000. Remember, they numbered all the tribes except Levi, and they're basically numbering just the men 20 years and upward because those are ones that will be eligible to fight. So that number was 603,550. But you have to at least double that to account for the women. And then you think about children. So you're talking by the time that you number everybody, somewhere between two and two and a half million people, which is just a logistical nightmare to try to remove that many people through that kind of land area over that period of time. But that's what God had for them. Uh, all the tribes were numbered except the Levites, and they weren't counted because they weren't going to go to war. Now, a little bit later, I'll show you a graphic. They actually determined, too, how they would set up around the tabernacle each time. So each time they came to camp, they had a, a very tight organization with the, the Levites immediately around the tabernacle and then the 12 tribes around after that. <clears throat> and, of course, they had the Shekinah glory to lead them by a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. So that certainly helped to have that kind of beacon in the midst of all those people. They would sound trumpets each time they were ready to leave, and they only left when the Lord uh, led them to leave. But it's just an incredible thing to think about uh, as they were making their way up to the promised land. Chapters 5 and 6 has instruction on just a couple of different things. Uh, one is how to handle leprosy when it happens. Uh, there's an, a very small section on what to do to make restitution for somebody if you owe them restitution. Uh, what to do in the case of a woman being charged with being unfaithful to her husband. And then the Nazarite vow in chapter 6. The Nazarite was someone who chose to dedicate himself to the Lord in a special way as a servant. He couldn't drink uh, strong drink, wine or strong drink, and he couldn't cut his hair. <laughs> Seven through nine, there are, and again, this is all preparation before they set out for the first time from Sinai. Offerings are made. There's the setting part of the Levites. What is their primary tasks? Okay, so the priests are a subset of the Levites. They had to be descendants of Aaron, but the tribe of Levi uh, had what particular task? Basically, they took down and put up the tabernacle. That's right. They assembled and disassembled the tabernacle each time they took it, you know, got ready to leave to a new location. <clears throat> 
All right, then we have the journey itself. And again, this is from Sinai up to Kadesh Barnea. I'll show you a map in a little bit, but there's really four events that are described in chapters 10 through 12. The first, they get three days out from Sinai, and they're already complaining about the rigors of travel, and the Lord disciplines them accordingly. That complaining led Moses himself to say, look, this is too much for me. I can't handle all these people. I've got to, you got to do something, Lord. And he does. He appoints 70 elders to help Moses, and, and Moses' spirit was put on these men, and they were to help him bear the burdens of the people and, you know, not just decide cases, but just to help logistically as they move people through. People complained of having only manna to eat, so the Lord provides them with quail. And even in the midst of that, the people, some of them, ate very greedily and very, I would say, unappreciatively. And God disciplines them that and strikes some of them down, even while the quail is still between their teeth. And then we have a revolt from Aaron and Miriam, sister and brother of Moses himself. Uh, they are saying, look, we're, you're kind of acting like you're the only one that God has spoken to. And we, we all know the Lord. And, you know, <clears throat> we're not necessarily going to listen just to you anymore. What was the consequence of that revolt? Leprosy on Miriam herself, and she was put outside the camp for seven days before they could proceed. So, as we uh, narrated already, uh, as they get to Kadesh Barnea, they send folks up there to spy out the land. Uh, they again complain that this is not going to work for them. They feel like they've just been brought out into the wilderness to be killed there. And uh, that's the last straw. For the Lord as far as that generation being able to enter the promised land. Here's the pronouncement. Uh, everybody except Joshua and Caleb, this penalty fell upon, Numbers 14, 29. Your corpses shall fall in this wilderness, even all your numbered men, that 603,550 that we talked about before, according to your complete number from 20, year olds, 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. And that's what's going to take place over the next 37 and a half years. Now, we don't know. We're not given a whole lot of detail about that period of time as far as all the, you know, every place they went, everything that happened. We do know that the people died out over time. Some of them perhaps died out from uh, their own sin. Some of them grew to an age where it was just time for them to die. But think about uh, 603,000 men having to die out over that period of time. You're talking about an average of 80-something people a day dying and they're being funerals for. Uh, so that's a lot what was what happened during that time is just people dying and having to be buried. After Kadesh Barnea, there's instruction. Uh, this chapter mostly deals with instructions on various kinds of offerings but also includes this incident of a man found gathering sticks on the Sabbath. Remember, this, the law has already been given. They've already been commanded. Six days you can do all of your work, but on the seventh day you're to rest. And this is an interesting incident. I think it illustrates a key truth. Let's look at Numbers 15, beginning of verse 32. While the sons of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. 
probably to build a fire for his home. And those who found him gathering the wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been declared what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, This man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Uh, it was a way of the Lord emphasizing, look, I'm serious about what I'm telling you. You need to do what I say. And obviously he was providing for them. They didn't have to gather wood on the Sabbath day. Um, but it was a means of illustrating that the Lord was to be treated as holy and, and to be obeyed accordingly. Chapter 16, we have yet another rebellion. And I, I, I'm imagining that you're sensing a recurring theme here. But Korah, Korah, who was one of the Levites, along with 250 leaders from different <coughs> tribes of Israel, prominent men, men of renown, again challenged Moses' authority. Moses warns the people to get back away from the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Those were three of the men that were leading this rebellion. And we read this in number 16. <coughs> Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. In other words, if these guys, nothing happens to them other than living out their regular number of days and dying, then you're right, I'm not sent by the Lord. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. It came about as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground that was under them split open, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households, and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged them, to them went down alive to Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Uh, it's quite a lesson <laughs> to those people out there. You can imagine that once Moses says, all right, everybody, get away from these people's dwellings. It's kind of like when somebody says something and you, you wonder if they're going to get struck by lightning. You know, you say, get out from around these folks. And once they saw that, all Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, for they said, the earth may swallow us up. So it had, I think, its intended consequence. Fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. After that, we have, again, an affirmation and this is the key thing, is that God had chosen his leaders, right? He chose Moses to be the man that he wanted, the man that he was going to communicate through, and the man that was to lead the people. He chose Aaron and his sons as the priest. Nobody else was supposed to do the work of the priest other than those. And then he chose the Levites as their helpers. All that's affirmed again in 17 through 19. <clears throat> All right, so now let's look, consider uh, the journey from Kadesh Barnea to Moab. And when I say, so they've, they've made it up to Kadesh Barnea. They, once they did what they did with the 12 spies, they wandered in that general area for some 37 and a half years. They're back at Kadesh Barnea now, a new generation. 
and they're getting ready to make their way up to the promised land. And we have these kinds of events. Uh, Miriam, sister of Moses and Aaron, dies. Moses strikes the rock at Kadesh rather than what? Speaking to it. Remember earlier as they were making their way down to Sinai, he had struck the rock and brought water forth from it. This time, though, he was supposed to just speak to the rock, again, at the Lord's command. And rather than just speaking to it, he struck it. And kind of the way that he did it, let's read about it. Numbers 20, verse 7. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, assemble the congregation, and speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth for you out of this rock? Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? That's a little different than what the Lord had commanded, wasn't it? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly. So it still came out, but he hadn't done it the way the Lord had commanded. The congregation and their beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given. And that was an incredible loss on Moses' part. Think about all he's been to up to this point already, all he's going to continue to do between now and Moab, and he knows from this point on he's not going to get to go into the promised land. Now, he later petitions the Lord to reconsider, and the Lord says, no, you'll get to see it. You can go up into Mount Nebo and look over and see the land, but you'll not be allowed to go into it. At a certain point, they send messengers to the king of Edom and they're hoping to get on a road that runs through Edom to make kind of a straight way up to the plains of Moab. But the king of Edom denies them that passage. They have to go south to get north and skirt around the land of Edom. Aaron dies, and his son becomes the new high priest. They have a victory over King Arad and the Canaanites at a place called Hormah. They complain once again and talk about wanting to go back to Egypt. And the Lord sends fiery serpents to discipline the people. And what's the, the way that people can be protected from those serpents? The bronze serpent. The bronze serpent that's lifted up. Let's read about that in Numbers 21, verse 5. This is really about that whole incident. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. He's talking about the manna there that God provided. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, they recognized their sin, we've sinned because we've spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. <clears throat> and Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard. It shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. 
And Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. So uh, that's, of course, something that Jesus uses later in his ministry to illustrate the fact that he's going to be lifted up and that those who look to him will be saved through him. Um, you could call that a type, if you would, but you wouldn't say that that wasn't something that the Old Testament saint knew. He didn't know that that serpent was going to typify Christ in the future, but he did know that this was the means by which God provided salvation, deliverance from the serpents in his own day. And when he looked at that serpent in faith, the way God prescribed, uh, he was healed. As they continue to own toward the plains of Moab, they have more victories over some other nations. Sihon, who was king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. Now they get to uh, the land of Moab, and Balak is the king there. He's heard about this great horde of people that are moving up towards him and now even into his territory. And what does he do? He what? He calls on Balaam. He calls on Balaam, and who was Balaam? A, a popular prophet. Okay, a prophet for hire. And Balak says, hey, come do what I want you to do with these people, and I'll make it worth your while. I'll pay you money. And <clears throat> was Balaam a true prophet of God? And why would we say that? I mean, he basically says, okay, I'm, I'm only going to say what the Lord puts in my mouth, nothing more. He keeps hoping he can do otherwise. He keeps thinking that he can do it other, he, even though he knows God's going to tell him what to do, he still keeps thinking, maybe not this time. And, and a uh, true prophet would want what God says. Well, I mean... This to me is the mystery. I mean, there's times where you read there and it's, it's, he sounds really pious, right? And he, he definitely blesses Israel three times instead of cursing them. And then when Balak gets all upset about that at the end, he said, look, I told you up front, it doesn't matter how much money you give me. I'm only going to say what the Lord tells me to say. Well, it also says afterwards, right, that he says, listen, this is what you can do. That's right. So I agree. I don't think he was a true prophet. Uh, it's kind of a, a puzzle the way that it reads. At times he sounds like he is, but he does end up helping Balak cause Israel to stumble. And we've actually looked at that in Numbers 25 before uh, because that's where the priestly covenant comes about as a result of. But in 22 to 25, on three different occasions, Balak, king of Moab, asked this seer, Balaam, to curse Israel, and three times he blesses them instead. He also pronounces, uh, just an oracle in general, he's blessing Israel, and he's also pronouncing an oracle about their future success and prosperity as a nation. So we have a new numbering of the people. All the ones 20 years old and up that have been numbered when they first set out have died out. Uh, anybody remember what the new numbering was? Very close to the original number, 601,730. So um, it's only a, a difference only of 1,820 people, which is 0.3% reduction now. If you look at the numbers of the different tribes, some of those went up and down, 
but very similar to the same amount with which they left Sinai. Joshua is now commissioned. Let's read about that in Numbers 27. Moses has already been told he's not going to be able to lead the people in the promised land. Joshua is going to be the new leader. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him and have him stand before Eleazar the priest, Eleazar being the son of Aaron, and before all the congregation, and commission him in their sight. You shall put some of your authority on him in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. Moreover, he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his command they shall go out, and at his command they shall come in, both he and the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation. Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. He laid his hands on him and commissioned him just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Of course, after Moses dies, Joshua's going to be the one that leads the people uh, in taking the land, conquest. He's a great military man, and we'll see more about that when we get to the book of Joshua. We have some more instruction in chapters 28 through 30. These chapters, again, think about the fact that you don't know how good a job they did of passing along the instruction to the new generation, but some of these are just reviewing instruction that had been provided previously on offerings, on the feast, and on vows. And then when we get to 31 to 36, we have uh, preparation for the conquest that's going to come in the book of Joshua. Israel conquers the Midianites east of the Jordan and the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh settle on that east side. Remember, there was some disagreement about that initially, but they said, hey, we'll help you. We'll go ahead and cross the Jordan with you and help you fight for the other land, but we want this territory that we've already conquered. And Moses consulted with the Lord, and, and they were good with that. There's also the cities of the Levites that are spoken about. They're not actually designated until a little bit later, but the Levites don't get a land allotment, so they had, tri they had cities within the other tribal allotments. Uh, six of these were also called what are, uh, cities of refuge. I have a map that shows what those are. But the city of refuge was for, well, you tell me. What was city of refuge for? How's that? That's right. So for the manslayer, for somebody who didn't, and at least in a premeditated way, kill somebody else, they could flee to the city, stay there until the trial, and the what's called the avenger of blood, usually a kinsperson of the one that was killed, couldn't kill them as long as they were in that city of refuge. Now, if they ventured out of that city, they were fair game, but <clears throat> that's what the cities of refuge were about. And the cities of the Levites included those six cities and 42 more, so it was a total of 48. There was also this issue of a man dying without sons. Typically, the land passed to the sons. That's how it passed down to the next generation. But Zelophehad had no sons, and it was decided that it could pass to the daughters in that case. It was also decided, though, that they had to stay when they married they had to marry within their tribe. They couldn't uh, marry outside of the tribe and jeopardize the land inheritance. 
Okay. So now I'll show you just a few graphics to try to illustrate some of what we talked about. This was the arrangement around the tabernacle here in the middle. <coughs> you had the Levites immediately around the tabernacle and then the 12 tribes. This is how they would set up camp each time. And there was also a um, order of procession as they left camp each time. So this is where we started. Book of Leviticus uh, finished up down here at Sinai. They set out from Sinai up towards Kadesh Barnea, which is here. And as we said, uh, this period of time was marked by four events, uh, the complaint after three days of travel and the accompanying discipline that came with that, the appointment of 70 elders to help Moses with the people, <clears throat> the provision of quail, and the discipline that came with that as well, and then the rebellion by Miriam and Aaron. Those are the four events that are described during this section. From Kadesh Barnea, they go up into the Promised Land. They come back down with the report. Ten of the twelve spies said that they couldn't take the land, and that was the thing that caused the, that generation not to be able to enter. Uh, so for, 40, for 37 and a half years, they wander in that general area, this is the time of the revolt of Korah and company. Miriam ends up dying. Moses strikes the rock instead of speaking to it. They eventually come back to Kadesh Barnea, and they probably return to Kadesh Barnea on a couple of occasions over the course of about 37 and a half years. <coughs> but they eventually send messengers over to Punan. That's where the king of Edom was, and we're asking for permission to go from there straight up into the plains of Moab. That's denied, so they have to come back down this way and then skirt around the land. And over that course of time, Aaron dies, Eleazar, his son, becomes priest. Uh, they again complain against Moses, and the fiery serpents are brought. They move up on into the area the <clears throat> of Moab, and they defeat those different countries that we talked about. Finally, they're up in the plains of Moab, and that's where... Uh, that's where they're going to be for the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, that's where they're going to be as Moses has, goes up and looks. I think you can see Mount Nemo, Nebo right there. <coughs> that's where Moses goes to look over and to see the promised land. But uh, he's not allowed to enter. And so he dies and uh, Joshua ends up taking over. All right, this map shows the sixth city of refuge. There were uh, three on the east side of the Jordan, three on the west. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Golan, Ramoth, Gilead, Bezer, and then Kadesh, uh, Shechem, and Hebron. In addition to those six, there were 42 more for uh, the Levites. And again, these are not named until we get to the book of Deuteronomy. I don't know if you've noticed that, but they're mentioned in Numbers as something that they're going to set out to give them. Uh, Deuteronomy 4 is where they're named. Moses set apart three cities across the Jordan to the east that a manslayer may flee there who unintentionally slew his neighbor without having enmity toward him in time past. And by fleeing to one of these cities, he might live. Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau of the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead for the Gadites, 
Golan and Bashan from the Manassites. Uh, Joshua 20, verse 2 says, Designate the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses. And then Joshua 20, verse 7, They set apart Kadesh and Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. All right, so I think this one's pretty straightforward as far as what the major themes are. What do you, what do you say? What are the major themes of the book of Numbers? Rebellion has to be at, at or near the top. What else? What, what gets a lot of ink in the first four chapters? Numbers, numbers themselves. I mean, the book's very appropriately named. Uh, they're numbering the fighting men of each one of the tribes. The wilderness is a major theme as far as that's the setting of all that they're going through. As we said, rebellion and its consequences. Think about the different folks that rebelled. Israel as a nation were constantly rebelling against Moses' authority and wanting to go back to Egypt. Aaron and Miriam rebelled against Moses. Korah and company, the leaders, these 250 well-known men, rebelled against Moses. Moses himself rebelled against the word of the Lord. I mean, it seems like a tough thing that he got very frustrated, it seems, with the people. Uh, and the Lord still provided the water from the rock, but it cost him the opportunity to enter the promised land. Character of God is something that we see very clearly in all of these books. What aspects of his character would you say are illustrated in the book of Numbers? Long-suffering Long -suffering would be one, right? I mean, and what, what is it that requires that long-suffering? Exactly. Israel's disobedience, rebellion required their long-suffering. Did he require God's long-suffering? Did he just wink at it? No. He still disciplined them, and that would be another part of his character, but certainly his patience is huge in the book of Numbers. He doesn't allow their sin to go unpunished, but he doesn't wipe them out either. He's still um, watching over them. He's still providing for them. <laughs> Even though the first generation dies out, he's still prospering them through their wilderness years. All those people that died during the wilderness had to be replaced, right? So there's a lot of kids born during that 37 and a half years as well. His wrath and discipline are on display as they re Israel rebels against him. His faithfulness to his covenant and to his word is certainly uh, a, a significant part of the book of Numbers. Yes, I don't think it's a bad way to say that. And you, you see that all through the Pentateuch, right? It's, and through the covenants that we spent so much time on. On the one hand, God guarantees that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Now, the generation to whom those promises are fulfilled can vary depending on their attitude towards the Lord and their obedience or disobedience. So you've got that sovereignty of God on the one side and the responsibility on, of man on the other, and that's the way it is all the way through Scripture, all the way through history. And then finally, I would say, even though it's going to be more of an issue perhaps next week, well, 
in two weeks would be the land. I mean, they're, they're going through the wilderness at this point, but their destination is the promised land, and that's what's keeping them going. Um, it's going to be a really big issue in Joshua. All right, so putting all that together, what would you say is the purpose of the book of Numbers? What, what does it do for us as far as filling out the plan of God? I want to try to put that in 25 words or less. Well, it explains how the Israelites got from Egypt to the Promised Land, but it also explains to us the, um, the consequences of rebellion and, and obedience. Very good. So it does explain to us how Israel gets up to the plains of Moab from Mount Sinai, and it explains along the way the consequences of, God, of rebellion against God. Um, and, uh, you know, conversely, if they hadn't rebelled, they would have enjoyed a blessing and an easier travel, I would say. Certainly, they could have avoided that 40 years of wilderness wandering. Israel's failure to obey Yahweh brought discipline, including death, but it did not thwart his original purpose to establish and bless the nation. He's going to continue to do that um, all the way through all the way through the Old Testament. All right, so next week we'll look at the book of Deuteronomy. This is a book, again, that we've looked at before but in conjunction with our covenant study, but hopefully just kind of seeing it in the context of the flow of the Pentateuch will make a difference. It'll all take place there in the uh, plains of Moab, so there's no, no change of venue. It's kind of like Leviticus in that sense, but it is the final... And the, it's the second law, the second giving of the law by Moses to a new generation just before he dies and just before they enter the promised land. Don't forget next week, uh, we'll start an hour later, and we have FOF tonight, right? 6.30. Any other announcements before we close? Could you say that again? We're starting an hour later. Yes, I'm sorry. We talked about that before you came in. Uh, next week, because we're having lunch after our service and we're having a baptismal service at 3 o'clock over at the church, we're going to delay our start time for an hour in the morning. So instead of starting at 9.30, nominally we'll start at 10.30. All the food and everything is taken care of uh, as far as for lunch. All right, thank you for your attention. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. <clears throat> Father, on the one hand, we, th we think about the book of Numbers and just the things that you did to provide for that people, your people, the nation of Israel, providing for them food and water and even quail in supernatural ways that enable them to get through travel through that kind of very harsh and difficult land, providing victory even though they had not experienced warfare in their history and not really trained as fighting men. <clears throat> uh, you helped them, and you helped them conquer those peoples, and you fulfilled your word to them, your covenant promises. And we just thank you for the, the way that, that this book displays your character 
And on the one hand, your righteous wrath and your disciplining of sin, but at the same time, your long-suffering. We see that exercise toward the nation of Israel. We experience it as you exercise it towards us, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the way that your character doesn't change. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we'll have uh, next Sunday to worship together, to take the Lord's table together, and to hear the testimonies of David and CM. Thank you for bringing them to faith in Christ and for opening their eyes to truth and for their willingness now to make that profession public. And we just look forward to celebrating that together. Go, go with us now, we pray, Lord, to help us as we go separate ways into different places. Help us to walk in light of the things that we've learned this morning and, and just to walk again in light of all the truth that we know from your word and to be faithful, faithful in our witness, faithful in our service to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.